Welcome to the Blue Earth Podcast, brought to you by Future Frogmen, a nonprofit organization working to protect the ocean. I'm John Sherburn, the show's producer, and today's episode features Alexander Toole, a PhD candidate at MIT. He speaks with host Richard Hyman about climate change and its impact on precipitation around the globe. For more information, please check us out at futurefrogmen.org. Let's get into it. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, before we get into the science, can you tell us uh, a little bit more about yourself, including what brought you to MIT and your particular area of study? Sure. So I'm happy to, uh, to take part in the discussion. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm a, uh, so I'm a third year PhD candidate at MIT um, in the field of uh, climate science and more specifically hydroclimatology. So looking at the interaction of climate with the water cycle. So I've always been interested in uh, climate science, actually, um, because it's, uh, you know, it involves so many different disciplines. You get to do everything from physics to chemistry to, to fluid mechanics to thermodynamics. And the climate is a very complex system. So there's a bunch of different challenges and questions that we have to answer and uh, uh, and it's also very topical because you know there's the issue of uh, there's the issue of climate change and, and and what do we do about it? Can we make good projections? So hopefully a lot of work for me in the in the decades to come. Um, what brought me to MIT is that uh, a big project was starting when I uh, applied for a PhD, a project in collaboration with Morocco uh, about the future of their water resource and uh, how to better manage it. I thought it was a very interesting thing to work on, both on, from the science and from the, the management perspective, and uh, I hopped in and uh, I didn't regret it. So, Alex, can you remind us what's the difference between weather and climate? The way I like to think about it is. Um, you know, climate is the personality and weather is the mood, okay? So climate defines a place like a personality will define a person. The weather can change from day to day, just like someone's mood can change from day to day. But your personality is going to make some moods more likely than others, okay? And similarly, a region's climate is going to make some weather types more likely than others. Um, you know, you can get, you, you can get clouds, um, or rain, or even snow in the Sahara Desert, it's just not very likely, okay? Uh, but in Boston, it is a lot more so. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, good starting point. Now, why, why is climate important when we start talking about precipitation? Okay, so to begin, maybe I, I should make this clear. When I, when I say precipitation, I mean rain or snow, okay? So it's, it's water falling from the sky. It's the word we use to enclose uh, those two things. I think to to answer that, you have to think about how you get precipitation, okay? So air naturally contains water vapor, uh, you know, a good order of magnitude um, in a room like I'm in, you know, maybe 15 by 15 by seven feet. There's, you know, I would say maybe a pound, a pound, a pound and a half of water. Uh, to get rain or snow, uh, what you need to do is to saturate the air. Air uh, has this property that the warmer it is, the more water it can contain before it saturates. So in order to saturate the air, you need to cool it down. The way it happens in nature is that air goes upwards um, because as the air goes up, the pressure goes down. And as the pressure goes down, the air expands and it cools. You know, if you've ever used a can of compressed air, you know, when you release gas out of it, the can gets much colder, right? And it's the same thing that happens in the atmosphere. As the air goes up, um, it cools. Um, and as it cools, it can contain less and less water. And so at some point, you know, the air just has to saturate. The water condensates, you get clouds and, and hopefully uh, rain, rain as well. 
Um, you know, the way it happens in nature, there's three main kinds of precipitation. You can get what we call convective precipitation. So think about a thunderstorm, okay? So, you know, convective precipitation is you make the air near the surface unstable by warming it, okay? Warm air is not very dense. It will tend to go up. If you've ever used a, a lava lamp in your, uh, in your bedroom, you know, you warm the wax and it tends to rise up in bubbles. It's the same thing that happens with air. It gets warmed from below by the warm surface, um, and then it rises and it rises, it cools, it saturates, it rains. That's typically what happens in the tropics. You know, the tropics get a lot of sunlight, a lot of energy, so they tend to get convection, convection a lot, and so it rains all the time. And that's also what happens around here, as I mentioned, when you, when you have a thunderstorm. Usually late afternoon, the, the ground is really warm, the air is very unstable, and, and boom, you get a thunderstorm. Um, the other way you can get precipitation is by interaction of, of the wind and the, and the mountain ranges, okay? Because, you know, the wind, when it hits a mountain range, it will be forced to go up. Um, and as it's forced to go up, similarly, it's going to cool and it's going to saturate. Uh, and so that's why the areas of mountains that are upwind tend to get a lot of rain. And the areas of mountains that are downwind tend to not get a lot of rain. Because when you're downwind, the air tends to go down. Think about you know, Western California versus Nevada. In Western California gets the air coming from the Pacific, it rises up the mountains, it's all green, and then as it goes down into Nevada, it's the desert, it's super dry. And the last way um, to get precipitation is large scale or cyclonic precipitation. You know, typically um, um, depressions or uh, cyclonic weather systems that we tend to have around here in Boston or places like Seattle or London, um, you know, a cyclone, it tends to think about a hurricane. It tends to suck in air. Um, the air rises inside a cyclone, and so you get, you know, you get clouds and precipitation associated with that. You know, this brief overview of how you get precipitation in nature shows you how, you know, weather and so climate patterns really determine uh, how likely it is that you're going to get precipitation in one place um, and, and how that precipitation is, is, going to, uh, is going to occur. So that's why... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very important to understand the climate in order to know what happens to precipitation and what's going to happen to it in, in the future. So more specifically, how do you study the precipitation? So as I just mentioned, um, you know, one of the big uh, issues with precipitation is that it can happen in a lot of very different ways. And it usually tends to be uh, the end product of a lot of other different weather slash climate constraints. Okay, you know, it has to do with winds, it has to do with how moist the air is, it has to do with what the energy budget at the surface is, it has to do with the topography and all those things. So studying precipitation is, is complicated. And, you know, that's why, you know, even, even weather forecasts, you know, in two, three days, we're actually pretty bad at predicting precipitation because, again, it's, it's a very difficult variable to look at. Temperature, we're quite good, but precipitation is difficult. And so in order to really get a, an idea grounded in physics of, of, of precipitation dynamics, um, you have to use what are called weather models, okay, or climate models. And so basically you're just... Uh, you know, you divide your atmosphere into a lot of different grid cells and uh, you solve the equations of fluid mechanics and the energy balance. Um, and you look at what happens over time um, in a place. So you can do this by starting your model from observed data. That's what weather forecasters do on a day-to-day on a -day basis. You know, they, they initiate their calculations with the, their best guess of what the state of the atmosphere is today. 
And so, you know, they run it for a few days and then they see what, what things look like in a few days. From the client perspective, which is what I do, um, you know, where you start from doesn't really matter because you, you look at very long time periods, but you still use the same tools. You know, you, you use models also grounded in some, you know, simple uh, physical understanding of the basic physics at play behind the phenomena. Uh, but that's really the, the main tool we have. So the title of our discussion, the future of water resources from a climatology perspective, what is the outlook for precipitation and particularly perhaps in certain locations? You mentioned Morocco and what about Morocco as well as other locations? What's the outlook? So, you know, briefly, you know, like the, the big picture is that, you know, on average, um, under climate change and, and global warming, the world is going to get more rain, okay? And that's just a consequence of the fact that, you know, as I said earlier, warmer air can hold more water vapor. So you warm the air, you warm the atmosphere, it can contain, contain more water vapor. And so when it rains, um, there's just, you know, there's more water in the air to make rain at the surface. So, you know, roughly, roughly put, the world is going to get wetter. And we estimate that, you know, if you look at world precipitation, um, there's about a two to 3% increase per degree Kelvin of warming. And one degree Kelvin is 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, so by the end of the century, you know, we estimate a, a warming of the surface of maybe three to four degrees Kelvin. So, you know, close to um, 11 degrees Fahrenheit or something. Um, and so, you know, it gives you an idea of, you know, globally, the precipitation on the planet is expected to increase by maybe 10%. Except in a very few specific places where the models are robustly telling us that those places are going to get less rain. Um, and so those places are mainly the Mediterranean basin, okay, between Europe and North Africa, and other Mediterranean climate regions, uh, mainly southern Australia, Chile, um, South Africa, and also potentially southern California. Also, some big areas of the tropical oceans are going to get less rain, but that we, do, we don't really care about because, you know, it's over the ocean and nobody lives there. Uh, but uh, those, those few, few places on land that I just mentioned, those are the places that, that we're very concerned about because they're, they tend to be already water-stressed. A bunch of people live there, and so for them, uh, a decrease in precipitation would, would, would matter a lot. Um, in terms of why physically uh, the a decrease can be expected in those areas, uh, it's actually a, a, you know, a, a topic of, of uh, current research. That's, that's what I'm working on currently, you know, looking at the Mediterranean and Morocco more specifically. And just because, as I mentioned, because precipitation is influenced by so many factors, it's often hard um, to know what is really driving uh, the decrease that we observe um, in the models. Um, so this decrease in all those regions is also consistent with the trends that we've observed over the past century, you know, based on, on stations and people observing how much rain you get. One of the main reasons why it happens, we think it has to do with the expansion of the subtropical deserts. So the subtropical deserts of the earth, the Sahara, southwestern US, um, you know, Namibia, Australia, they are regions where air tends to sink. Okay, air goes down. So even though you have a lot of water in the atmosphere, because air goes down, um, you suppress precipitation. And so, you know, that's why you have those big deserts. 
the air is actually wetter over the deserts than in many areas of the world. Like, you know, if you go to the poles or even northern Canada, the air is drier than in the deserts. But because in the deserts, the air sinks, uh, you don't get precipitation. So we think those deserts are expanding and there's some robust physical explanations for that. Um, one of our important facts is the interaction between changes in local winds and the topography in those areas. The Mediterranean or Chile or Australia have some complex topography that, that also matters when you look at, at precipitation. But it is true that you know, robust and comprehensive explanations are still lacking for, for many places. Up to now, people have been looking for you know, kind of simple, large-scale uh, arguments or scalings to explain roughly what would happen over the, the whole planet. Uh, but it seems now that, that we really need to look at smaller scales to understand what's happening. So to give you an example for Morocco, you know, the models are saying that it's going to get drier and there is very good agreement between the models. You know, all the models that we use say it's going to get drier. The projections range from anything between minus 10% to minus 70%. So that's still a huge uncertainty. And the kind of research that I do is trying to understand physically where that uncertainty comes from, to relate it to different um, uh, physical climate phenomena in the models, and maybe to help narrow it. If you have a better physical understanding of what's happening, maybe you can discard some of the less uh, realistic projections, um, that kind of thing. Very good, Alex. Uh, it's very interesting. Thank you for sharing uh, at least a glimpse of this important subject with us. Uh, we wish you best wishes for your continued important studies. So thank you for spending time with us today. We do have uh, some questions for you. Here's one from Subramanian, which says, I am specifically interested in oceanic rain. Which parts of the tropical oceans are expected to get less rain due to climate change? Okay, so currently, you know, rain on the oceans, um, the way it's, it's, it's shaped, you know, currently is basically you have a narrow band near the equator of very intense rain, uh, which has to do with the fact that this area of the world receives a lot of solar energy, so it gets really warm and you get a lot of convection. And the equator, on each side of the equator, you have big dry areas. You know, they tend to be anti-cyclonic, high-pressure areas, so the air sinks, um, and so that, that suppresses precipitation. So we believe that those areas where you have the anticyclones, so, you know, think about, you know, the northern Pacific anticyclone, southern Pacific anticyclone, those areas are going to get drier. Uh, not enormously drier in terms of relative change, but still drier. And that may have to do mainly with forcing from uh, CO2 in the atmosphere. You increase the concentration of, of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, you make it more stable, and so you get less precipitation. Another specific area of the ocean where uh, we expect to see less rain is actually the, a narrow band on each side of the high rainfall band over the equator. So the models are also robustly projecting uh, you know, an intensification and a narrowing of this uh, bound of intense rainfall across the equator. So this is something that, that has started being, being discussed a few years ago, and it's still actually quite unclear why you would get this narrowing of the, of this, of the central um, equatorial circulation. Um, and finally, another area is the, uh, of the ocean that will get drier is the areas near... Um, near those Mediterranean-type climate regions. You know, uh, the Mediterranean Sea is going to get a lot less rainfall 
the ocean next to Australia is also going to, to get a lot less rainfall. I will add just to finish that for oceans, it's not so much precipitation that matters. It's more like precipitation minus evaporation because also, you know, a strong feature of climate change is because it gets warmer, you know, there's a lot more evaporation. On land, it's not really a problem because like often, you know, water is limiting. So even if the atmosphere can evaporate more water, there's just no water at the, at the surface. But over oceans, it matters because over oceans, water is always freely available. Okay, so even if you, your precipitation doesn't change, you expect the evaporation to change a lot. And that may have important consequences on surface salinity uh, and circulation of the ocean. I think we will will end here. Thank you again so much and continued success. And we will speak with you soon, okay? Sure. Thank you again. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to see more of our content, you can check us out at futurefrogman.org or on social media at futurefrogman. We release episodes every Monday. So until next time, remember, anyone can be an ocean ambassador. Thank you.